listening to The Bomb Girls Beacon, a limited-run podcast dedicated to the Canadian television show Bomb Girls. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Annie. Sadly, Stephanie is unable to join us for this recording. She's not feeling well right now, but hopefully she'll be able to join us for the rest of the episodes. And Bomb Girls is a series about World War II women who work in a munitions factory in Toronto. In this podcast series, each episode will be dedicated to one of the main characters. And spoiler warning, we'll be discussing the first two seasons of the series, and even though there's a movie set to be released on March 27th, we're recording this before that, so no spoilers on the movie, but spoilers on the series, so here's your warning. If you haven't finished watching it, go do that now. We'll wait. For you to watch all 18 episodes. Yes. And then you can come back. It's totally worth it. Yep. The 18 episodes. It is. Okay, so in this episode, we're going to talk about Lorna Corbett, who's Victory Munitions floor matron and group mother. But first, uh, we're going to have a little history. So each episode, we wanted to put in a little history blurb. Um, And, you know, so this is great because it sets up the historical background. I didn't know the exact dates. So Canada declared war on Germany on September 10th, 1939. And that was a week after the United Kingdom had declared war. Canada then declared war on Italy on June 11, 1940, and then Japan on December 7, 1941. Uh, so to put Bond Girls in context, the first season of Bond Girls takes place in 1941. Like our sister podcast, Drinks at the Dull, uh, Stephanie and Chris came up with, hey, let's keep having drink specials. Because why not, right? Yes, exactly. So the drink special for Lorna Corbett, very appropriately, is called Old Fashioned. And I saw this, and I just had to giggle. So it's one ounce gin, one sugar cube, two dashes Angostura bitters, so two dashes bitters, and one splash soda water. And I even had a giggle reading the ingredients, because to me it seems like, quote-unquote, older ingredients. This is like something that my grandmother would drink. So when I think of gin and bitters. So I think it's very, very appropriate for our first character analysis of Lorna. Well, there you go, then. Neither one of us are actually drinking it. Unfortunately, Chris said she ran out of time to go to the to the liquor store. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of fun to try. It, it's been a while since I've had gin. I have had gin recently, but I have no bitters. I just am bitter. <laughs> bitter about what, Chris? <laughs> that Bond Girls is canceled? And yes, that we have to keep fighting for more movies? Yes, we are bitter about that. Well, that too. <laughs> yes. So as we mentioned, Lorna Corbett is the floor matron and group mother. And when I say group mother, I really mean like of the main cast. She's sort of the the one who looks out for everybody. I call her the mother hen, you know, that kind of. Yes, that, yeah. that also very, works. Very much protective. Right. And Sally sent us an email saying that as the floor matron, and then side note, what a job description. And the married mother of adult children, Lorna is sort of both the voice of traditional societal mores as she watches her girls and living out her own sort of liberation from her confining life. And I thought that was a really sort of apt way of describing Lorna. Well, as, um, yeah, because it's the two sides of what these women have to go through in this era where they grew up being in these traditional roles, having to be the woman in the kitchen, having to be the mother, or if they're a young woman, that's all they're expected to do. Find a man, marry, have kids. But then when war breaks out, 
they suddenly are put into this position of working in a dangerous situation, you know, where they potentially could get blown up, working in a factory, working in a completely different environment. So they're having to explore this newfound freedom of having an actual job that's not just pushing paper, literally, and yet still having to go home after working the shift, standing on your feet all day, and you have to cook this great meal, you have to look after your kids. And Lorna just did it so much more because she took her, I think, motherhood instincts towards her adult children and expanded it to include what she calls uh, uh, very affectionately her girls on the factory floor. And I always love it when Lorna uses that phrase because it just ins- it just instantly to me, it really made her likable to me, that aspect of her, that she would do anything to protect him. Even if she's just, you know, what people might think to be a dowdy housewife at first glance. Uh, she has a lot of uh, stern characteristics and a lot of, you know, gumption under that house dress, I suppose. So it's more than what you see at first glance. I do love that about Lorna too, that, that she is sort of protective of, of the, the blue shift. She's in charge of the blue shift. And I think one of my favorite moments of the entire series is in episode two, Betty had gotten in a fight sort of basically got beaten up by some no good punks and she comes into work, you know, with her face all kind of messed up and, there, you know, the gossip has started and so Betty's feeling all uncomfortable about it and Lorna walks up to her and starts sort of giving a speech to the entire room. And for a second there, you're not sure which way it's going to go, but then it ends up being like completely in support of Betty and it just, it makes me tear up that scene. I love it so much. Yeah. Like when she says, what kind of a world is this where someone could do this to a woman, you know, i.e. to one of her girls, you know, if no one's, you know, the gossip, you know, ends here, I'm going to stand up and say what's right, you know, because people like this should be protected, you know, and, and if no one's going to say it, then I will. So she's very unexpectedly, you know, again, you wouldn't think to look at her, but she can be very unexpectedly quite you know, quite the tough chick, you know, you do not want to mess with her and get on her bad side. Um, because I think, uh, and this is one of her other characteristics that can kind of be not a downfall, but just not work in her favor. Um, she can hold quite a grudge and have her own prejudices. So I think that's the other side of that coin. But, um, one of my favorite Lorna moments was, uh, just from the pilot, from when after, you know, everybody, audiences and characters alike, so horrified to see a Vera's accident. And then later in the scene where Vera's in the hospital and the doctor is saying, well, we can try and patch her up, but, you know, we don't have time for this. And Lorna very simply says, oh, yes, you will. You know, what is this new surgery you have, plastic surgery? You're going to do this on her because she's one of my girls and she's like any other soldier out there. You know, she fights just as hard. You know, she says that in so many words. And I was like, wow, you know, this woman fights so hard for someone that's not even related to her by blood to, you know, make sure that she is taken care of, that her quality of life will still be hopefully still be good 
after she gets out of the hospital. And then, you know, we, later we see the transformation of Vera as she still is able to eventually return to work and um, still be a major part of the latter half of the first and the second season. So, but I think that's all, you know, if Lorna hadn't fought for her and stuck up for her, um, it could have gone a lot worse and doctors could have just ignored Vera and she could have been even more disfigured for life. So I was really impressed by Lorna just even in that first episode. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is something else that we see pretty often throughout the series is that Lorna does stand up for her girls. And I think we see the girls sort of stand up in return, you know, sort of, I guess, out of respect to Lorna having faith in them, if that makes sense. Yeah, because a lot of these girls like Kate, they don't, they come from these backgrounds where they don't have anybody looking out for them. They don't have anybody who treats them well that looks out for their best interests. But then they come into this kind of um, camaraderie and this friendship that they form with all the girls on the blue shift. But Warner's at the head of it all. Again, she's the head honcho, the matron, you know, who runs a tight ship. But then in return, she'll protect them all. Yep. And, you know, another bit in support of Betty in the second season finale we see her, she she tries to get rid of the letter that Kate's father had sent. And of course, she's not successful, which is what causes all the problems at the very end of the series. But, but she basically says as much that she's sorry she didn't get rid of it sooner. And I think this is sort of an interesting thing in light of what we've seen of the character before that, mm-hmm. which we will get to momentarily. Yeah, I think that's like her realization of her making a mistake and not quite knowing what to do with that letter and what it revealed, because she knew about the contents earlier and just decided to file it away. But uh, I think she didn't quite know how to process it and, you know, just believed Betty when Betty said, oh, they were all lies. But Lorna takes a while to process things. She doesn't like change. She doesn't like new things, as we'll discuss. So I think that kind of went to why she hung on to the letter for a while. But, you know, she's not the quote-unquote villain in that, in that um, act of, oh, I held on to the letter just out of spite or neglect or something like that. She just didn't know, again, how to process it. So, And the fact that she regrets it later shows that she's, you know, she wishes she had done differently. She wishes that she had a different intent, that maybe that she'd figured it out sooner. Right. Yeah, I think it is more an act of just sort of trying to do things by the book, you know? Yeah, because she's very much a by-the-book person. So she's not only the mother figure for the main characters, but she is a wife and mother, and this is, you know, it's a major part of her storyline that she's she's been married to her husband Bob for quite a while. They They got married young, and he had been injured in the Great War, which was World War I, and... So there's some implication that Lorna's been working for a while. I say implication. I think they do actually say it in there at some point that she's had to work, you know, since since the first war. So, yeah, um, I think her storyline with Bob, again, it's very telling how, you know, much she takes on even in her intro of the first episode where you know, she's cooking dinner, and then she does the blue shift, and then she's with Bob, and they're in bed, and you can tell they just have 
their own, even the way they are in bed, just sleeping beside one another, but not really being intimate anymore, as a couple does who's maybe been together so long, but, you know, they've lost a lot of, you know, love or physical touching that they might have had a long ago or forgotten how to do it. But then we realize, you know, when she picks Bob up that he's injured and that he can't walk, that he has no use of his legs, that not only does she have to do all of these things within her job and be the housewife, but she physically has to take care of her husband in this expanded capacity. And, you know, again, I'm just kind of blown away by how much she physically and mentally has to do to take care of her family. And yet she just accepts it. That That's her life. She's been working for a while. She's a real workhorse. And, you know, this, and she has kids that work, you know, as well. And, you know, she's very proud of Jean, who's in the military, and of her daughter, who's doing her part. Everybody just does their part. And that's very much Lorna, even with all of these demands on her. And I think that was very much the mentality of World War II, that everybody did their part, whether they were on the front lines or not. Right. And Stanley, too, the other son. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's sort of interesting because we do see in, I don't remember if it's in the first episode or just one of the early episodes where she does reach out to Bob and Bob basically won't have any of it. So you can kind of see where the drama comes in later because there's been this sort of, or, or there's a sense that there's been this sort of festering mutual resentment between Lorna and Bob. I mean, don't you get a sense from Bob that he sort of resents the fact that she's the one working? I mean, just in addition to the fact that he can't physically move around that much. Right. I mean, he he feels like it's his duty or it should be his duty. But the situation that they're in, you know, that can't be the case. So, you know, the, the traditional roles are reversed here, and you can tell that it bothers Bob. And mm-hmm. I think to some extent it bothers Lorna that it bothers Bob. Yeah. And so it's sort of interesting then with everything that happens, you know, basically they end up sort of having shouting matches with each other. Uh, I think at least once, but I think maybe mm-hmm. more than that. Yeah. And really, it's sort of interesting that basically it takes things getting much worse for them to get better. Because mm-hmm. they're actually in a pretty good place by the end of this second season. So, Yeah, they are. Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe Lorna had to go through the whole transition with uh, Marco and with um, everything that happened with Jean as well. And everything with her daughter and, you know, the prejudice she had against um, Ned Patel. But I think, yeah, Lorna goes through this journey where she gets exposed to a bunch of different things, you know, and eventually kind of turns the corner, you know, through everything that she's that she and Bob go through and her prejudices toward Dr. Patel, everything that happens with her girls. But, yeah, as you say, they're in a pretty good place by the end of season two. So I like seeing that journey. Since you've mentioned the reactions to Marco and Dr. Patel. Let's talk about Lorna as the queen of knee-jerk reactions, because... (laughs) I like that phrase. (laughs) Thank you. Because I I think she kind of is, you know? She, throughout the series, we see her sort of have these really strong, often very negative reactions to things. I think the first thing we really see from her is this xenophobia with Marco, 
because Marco is Italian, even though he's been in Canada since he was two, but, but oh, she sees him reading an Italian newspaper. And so, you know, clearly he's up to something or, or possibly getting yeah. coded messages or something. And so she's convinced he's some sort of spy and even has him, I mean, she basically frames him. <laughs> Yeah, to the authorities. Yeah, I mean, she plants a newspaper, the Italian newspaper that she sees him reading in his locker. And, you know, it's it's one of those things, she's just, she's so convinced herself that he's up to something. And it, it's, it's interesting the way that relationship goes. Yeah, it is interesting, because she's so, on the surface, so against him. And, you know, as you say, prejudiced, and it's like a radar goes off. You know, ooh, Italian. You know, bad. But I think, uh, as it was uh, down here, you know, where I think when she ends up, when Lorna ends up having feelings for Marco, and you kind of see that brewing between them, and they eventually end up having an affair, I personally think that she is attracted to him, and that's partially why she's so hostile and so hard on him, is because... She's got some attraction underneath, and she doesn't know what to do with it. Again, it's something different, so she doesn't know what to do with it, so it comes out in this very harsh, hostile way on the surface. But I think that's partially, again, from Lorna wanting to maybe experiment and get out of her confined lifestyle and say... Entirely possible. I mean, I I do think... That was just how I read it. Yeah, there's... I, I think there's a lot of sort of Lorna going too far in the opposite direction (laughs) with things. Because, you know, after the affair with Marco starts, she responds to that by coming up with her code of conduct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think she sees Marco with some other girl and basically decides that they need to put an end to all hanky-panky at work. Uh, My phrase, not the show's. (laughs) (laughs) I think it fits. I forget exactly how she phrases it, but... Anyway, but, you know, it's it's one of those, you know, that was so clearly her having a reaction to her relationship with Marco. And, of course, that backfires on her anyway. So, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of this internalized, like, xenophobia in a sense. Like, I can't, be- like, I have these feelings for this man, but he's an Italian. But, you know, I act on it anyway. And, oh, my God, I can't believe I acted on it. So I must react in a different way, you know, drastically and change my outside environment with this code of conduct so that maybe I won't go near him again, or, you know, maybe he won't go near, it'll give him an excuse not to go near me again, even though they eventually Marco and <laughs> he keeps trying to talk to her about it. So it's like, because she, I think part of her is horrified at what she's done. That's why she reacts with such a 180 degree and does those things. Yes. And, Stephanie actually made a comment in in the notes here that she had trouble buying the affair on first viewing because she was so prejudiced against Italians. And I mean, I get that. But at the same time, I mean, well, what you just said, Annie, that... Yeah, I think it runs deeper than that. You know, maybe it is sort of a, you know, it's not just that. Yeah. But yeah, that that was one of those things I, you know, on, on first viewing when we see Lorna doing all that stuff, I mean, she, she seems very supportive of the girls working for her for the most part, you know, tough, but fair, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and then she has this just like 
overwhelmingly negative response to Marco. And you're just kind of like, what is going on? And it's one of those things, I think, to me, it kind of makes sense in context. You know, they're at war with Italy. You can understand why she might be suspicious, even if it seems, I mean, it's unfair. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's it's unfair of her, but you can kind of still see where it's coming from. Well, and I'm sure it was such a different era and such so many different there's so much propaganda in that era and so many, you know, literally, you know, there's signs everywhere saying watch out for this, watch out for the enemy, you know. And uh, I think it made the common man quite paranoid in that sense. You know, so at least that underlying tension of we don't know who could be a spy or he's Italian, he's from he's from the ethnicity of the country we're fighting. Oh, they're a, you know, a Jap. No, I'm using that phrase in context of the, you know, of the time period. So, but I think, yeah, Lorna exager- exacerbates that, but I think it was something that was prevalent in a lot of people at the time. Right. But, you know, now we look at it 70 years removed and go, well, that was just, that's very xenophobic or it had no ba- real basis. So, mm-hmm. And of course, it's sort of interesting to just, I personally tend to think, and I don't, I don't know, but I think that the fact that Bob had come back from war and had come back so jaded about everything also probably is affecting yeah. her response to everything. And the fact that she has two sons overseas yeah, in danger, essentially. So yeah, I think all this stuff is at play in Lorna's mind. And we see in one of the first episodes where the army guys come to the factory and you know, half the people in that factory just completely freeze because they have family overseas who are in danger. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. these men could be coming to tell them that their loved one has died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we have that scene with Lorna and Mr. Akins, and he calls her over and you can just see, you know, she, she just looks paralyzed with fear. Mm-hmm. And, it turns out that it's Edith's husband and, you know, Lorna takes a second to even register that it's not one of her boys. And she asks him, my, my boys are okay. And Mr. Aikens just like so dismissively. So nonchalant. Yeah. I know. He's just like, Oh, you women always think it's, yeah. think it's makes such a big deal about everything or yeah, whatever it yeah. is he says. And, and so that's when Lorna once again, sort of, says, oh, I'll be telling Edith by myself. Because he, he wanted her to help him tell Edith, but clearly he's not one to deliver the message. Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, can you do it? Because, you know, you're the floor matron, but also, you know, Lorna would have done it regardless, because she is the one she feels responsible to be in that position as kind of, again, like the mother hen to all of these women. Well, but I mean, that whole scene was basically he was completely insensitive to yeah. what they were going through. And so she's just like, no, you shouldn't do it. I'll do it. Yeah. You stay away from the situation because you're just going to make it worse, clearly. Yeah. And, the, you know, the whole class battle and how the women get treated and how they are perceived by men, that's a whole nother uh, theme of the series. But yeah, Lorna takes that moment very well. Like, she knows what's up, so she'll, you know, do as best as she can to deliver a horrible message in the worst of situations, but it's better that it come from her than Mr. Akins, who's like the representation of male, I don't know what to call it, 
just the he was a representation of like the male uh, mindset, I think, in that day and age, in a lot of ways. Like, oh, this isn't a place for women, but I'm only working with them because I have to, because there's nobody else left. So, in addition to the xenophobia with it, Marco, we see we see it again with Doctor Patel, who has been dating her daughter, her daughter Sheila, and you know, Lorna doesn't take it well. <laughs> To say the least. And she doesn't take it well for a while. I mean, it it lasts several episodes where she's, you know, she and Bob are pretty against it. And, you know, it's one of those things, again, where on some level, I think more on Bob's part than on Lorna's part, you can kind of understand it. Because Bob seems under the impression that it's like a wartime thing. So he's concerned about this relationship not lasting and Lorna's just more, again, concerned about the xenophobia thing. She doesn't, she just doesn't get him, you know, and she's very concerned about he's not from this world. And so again, it's, it's a huge knee jerk reaction from, from Lorna. Yeah. And she's really concerned about the traditional values. And she's really shocked when she finds out that. Dr. Patel is betrothed to somebody else in his home country, and Which, that's just happening. you know, that yeah. makes sense to me. Why wouldn't you yeah. be concerned that you're... That's true, but... Your kid's, like, starting up some relationship with mm-hmm. somebody who's already made a commitment, to essentially, to somebody else, but... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, she just... She really shuts down when Sheila tries to explain to her over and over again why she... Why she loves this man. And... She just refuses to listen. And I think it's, I don't know, I think, I don't know if it really starts to turn her opinion when um, Dr. Patel just tries to help Bob out with his therapy, or if it's just Sheila's saying, this is basically, this is what I want to be happy. And I think... She actually seems more upset when he starts talking to Bob. Yeah. Because she's like, "He's, he's getting your hopes up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. But I think... Lorna eventually realizes, even if she is incredibly stubborn, that she doesn't want to get in the way of Sheila's happiness. And that she, you know, again, being like the mother that she is, you know, she I think she literally moves heaven and earth for her kids. You know, and she does things for her kids that, you know, even that she might regret later. But I think her intentions might always be that she tries to make them pure. So... She doesn't always succeed, but I think that's why I find it easier to accept Lorna to to like Lorna because yeah, a lot of the stuff she does, you know, looking at it from from now from <laughs> from a modern mindset, you're just kind of like, what is she doing? She sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what is her problem? Yeah, she's so racist, but she's so yeah, she's so hard headed. She just what. But I think, but I, I I like your point there because she's never again a quote unquote villain or a, a really unlikable character. I think that's the beauty of the writing. There's reasons behind whatever character does. There's motivations, and you know also the society and the mindset that they lived in in the forties, and you know it's all really complex and really wonderfully written and woven in with all the other characters so it's it's not just simple cut and dry oh Lorna's xenophobic and that's it 
and just leaves it at that without explaining it. Again, there's a lot of layers to her, as, as there is to every character. And, yeah, there were times that her actions were questionable, but she's never a character. And I'd say this for all the characters. There's not one that I dislike. I really enjoyed all of them. Me too. And I, I think that is one of the things that I really appreciate about this show is I think it really gives you opportunity to see that everybody is trying really hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have flaws. They All the characters have, like, legitimate flaws, but I think they also do a really good job of explaining or showing where those flaws come from. Yeah. That, that there's... You know, there are, there are reasons for people being weird about are. stuff mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Very, very psychoanalytical, my, my assessment, I know. <laughs> being weird about stuff. Hey, it works for me. Okay, good. Uh, speaking of being weird about stuff, <laughs> see how I segue? Lorna is really weird about the blood drive in the last episode of season two. And I think this is another one of those moments of just having a massive knee-jerk reaction because, you know, Sheila's heading up sort of the blood drive at Victory Munitions, and Lorna just seems really wary of it. And Lorna actually acts pretty much the same way when she goes to help the soldiers at the hospital, you know, because she tries to get the, the group to go there. And she's sort of, like, guilt-tripping the, the girls that... <laughs> the the blue shift girls to get them to go. Then she goes and she kind of can't stay there that long. <laughs> but yeah, she's good at guilt tripping like any mom. <laughs> <laughs> but like she's, you know, she's trying, but she just kind of gets really thrown off in the situation and, and doesn't really react that well to it. And, and she's that way about the, the blood drive. And she, I think does go and give blood, but the whole time you can tell that she's just kind of like, I don't get this. This makes no sense to me. And she's talking about, you know, they take half your blood. And then Sheila's like, no, mom, it's, it's 10%. <laughs> I know. Sheila is very, very patient with her mother throughout the series. I give that character credit. Um, but, you know, you and I were talking before, and it's also, um, it was also a relatively, you know, pretty new I guess you could say technology or pretty new technique at that point. So um, I can see why Lorna would distrust it. But someone like Sheila, who'd been trained and was more experienced with modernized medicine, whereas Lorna is a character who is very stuck in the past, I think, who this is the way we've always done it, this is the way we're going to do it kind of person. So I can see why new advances would kind of freak her out. Right. Well, I mean, most of the other characters were kids essentially during World War One. So yeah. you can yeah. kind of see to some of the, the wartime stuff. Lorna's been through it and had kids to raise and stuff, so mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Lorna is also, you know, especially at the beginning of the series, really sort of hostile towards Gladys. And I think it starts off just sort of a a negative response, not just on Lorna's part, but I think all the factory girls are kind of like, who is this rich girl and what is she Mm -hmm. doing here? Yeah, just in that first scene even, when um, she tells Gladys to take off the wedding ring, and she goes, well, these are the rules. You know, you got to take off your shoes, your ring, no metal. And 
and Gladys is trying to say, well, it's my engagement ring, but, you know, Lorna won't have any of it. And I think it's just Lorna resents Gladys because it's everything she could never aspire to. You know, she'll never be in that social class. You know, as many of the girls, they seem to have that impression of Gladys from the first get-go. And, you know, why is this person just pushing paper around? They say they're doing their part. Well, we're the ones risking ourselves on the factory floor. So why should we welcome this uh, rich girl in here? Yeah, we see Lorna, who has her own positive pregnancy test from her affair with Marco. She puts Gladys's name on this pregnancy test to frame her to get her fired. And the thing of it is, you know, Adele, who's Gladys's mom, basically bribes her into doing it. So again, it's it's not good, obviously. It's not good that Lorna has done this, but you can kind of see why she's done it. Because I think a lot of the resentment towards Gladys is a matter of, as you say, like Gladys's upper class why does she even have this job? She doesn't need it. Or Lorna might be thinking, you know, look at what Gladys has. Not necessarily, I want this for myself, but I want this for my kids. And that's why she does, when Adele says, well, I will, why have Sheila just go to nursing school? You can aim higher. You know, I can get her into the program for doctors, but you have to do this for me, get my daughter fired. And Gladys does it, Gladys, excuse me, um, Lorna does it, but I think she does it with resentment, but she'll still choose, well, I want the greater good of my kids to take precedence. So, she, again, she'll she'll do it for her kids and not, um, you know, it's not without reservation, but it's kind of like Adele is so good at manipulation. She knows just how to, you know, work everybody to give them exactly what they want, but they know they can never do on their own to accomplish her, her uh, means. Right. But I mean, I think if it had been one of the other girls, she wouldn't have done it. Does that make sense? No. Yeah. And that's the thing where it's the difference of why Lorna is more, has more hostility towards Gladys because she's not one of the girls, quote unquote. She's not from the same background. You know, she has more chances in life. She has more money. She has more status. You know, Gladys can survive if she doesn't have the factory job. One of her girls wouldn't do, you know, one of her girls wouldn't. So, right. Or would, yeah, be deposed and be in an even worse position. So, yeah, and it's it's one of those because she doesn't know Gladys that well. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. of course Gladys has her own perspective and her own reasons for doing it, but Lorna doesn't really know that until much later if she actually does ever fully yeah. figure it out. But mm-hmm. and maybe she does having more more experience interacting with Adele. Maybe she sort of figures out later, like, oh, maybe that's why, but... Yeah. Maybe she realizes later that Gladys doesn't want to be like Adele, so she'll gain more of an understanding of her. Right. And and she has a line to Jean in the second season. She tells him, people like Withams use people like us. And of course, that is in reference to her interaction with Adele from, from the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Lorna is with Gladys when Gladys gets the news that James has been killed overseas. And Gladys is kind of trying to, amusingly to me anyway, strike it out on her own and, you know, live in her own 
boardroom and figure out how to cook. And, uh, you know, it's, she's saying, I can't even make eggs. And um, to me, it's one of the most touching scenes in the whole series when she gets the news and she's still just asking Gladys, okay, can you still show me how to do this? Can you still show me how to make these eggs? And Still asking Lorna. Still asking Lorna, yeah. She's still asking Lorna. And Lorna just very patiently goes through the steps with her, and the camera, you know, goes to a long shot, and it's going back. And then you finally see Gladys break down, and um, that's just a real touching scene. I love that scene. It is. It's so good. Because even if Gladys, you know, she has a reservation, excuse me, even if Lorna has a reservations towards Gladys, she's not totally cold towards her, and she's not going to be, you know, void of all compassion. So I think that was a real, it was, you know, really good to have Lorna there instead of one of the other girls with Gladys. So I thought that was a smart bit of writing to put those two characters together when Gladys found out about James. Right, and I think that came about the same time that Gladys had helped Lorna talk Jean down from the roof of that building. Mm Mm-hmm. So it is, I think that's really the turning point in that relationship where I think Lorna comes around a little bit on Gladys Yeah. at that point that, I mean, in addition to Gladys genuinely trying to help and be a friend to Jean, mm-hmm. you know, she, she's, as you say, struck out on her own. She's in the boarding house and, you know, she's had this devastation that even Lorna hasn't had to deal with. And so I think... As you say, I mean, there's that moment, and she really needs a mother figure in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she certainly never bombs. got it with Adele. Exactly. With that kind of warmth or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was, oh, that's such a good scene. And, mm-hmm. you know, because Gladys for a minute tries to just carry on, and she can't do it. And nobody and so, could. Yeah. You know, Lorna's sort of coaching her through the the proper way to beat her eggs and as Gladys sort of breaks down, Lorna takes hold of the bowl with the eggs in it, has that in one hand and and has the other arm around Gladys and it's it's so good because she's holding holding everything up basically still. Yeah. And um random segue into Lorna's cooking skills on the show. I, I think they're really <laughs> Seriously, I don't know how. Uh, I'm like God. They're his- they must be like really historically accurate. Because who was it? Was it you or someone said, um, or Sally? She said, God, the way she cracks an egg, it's so accurate. And I'm like, God, I can't even crack eggs. So that was Sally. Yeah, give credit to Meg Tilly because she really can knows how to cook on screen, and I'm sure she can off screen. But but yeah, I get hungry every time I see the Lorna scenes because that woman really knows how to cook. I just think it's kind of like historically accurate. Crack eggs, beat this way, you know. Oh, oh God, that reminds me of one of the funniest scenes where she does the how to redo the meatloaf. Yeah, the sort of tutorial session for the... Recycle, yeah. And you can have yourself a nice meal that... And it's like this horrible blob. And all the girls look so disgusted. Well, it's a beef tongue. Yeah, beef tongue. Ugh. So, yeah. But I love the humor in Bomb Girls. Even It's such a well-written show that it puts these little moments in for each character. But uh, Lorna's cooking makes me hungry. So Even the beef tongue? Beef tongue meatloaf? No, not that. But the rest of it does. 
she gives to Bob and tells him it's sirloin. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he doesn't know. It's fine. <laughs> that's fine. It's edible. Yeah. <sighs> but yes, back to the the relationship with Gladys, because that scene is, is the turning point, basically. Because after that, in, in the last episode of season two, which I keep talking about... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, are you sad? Did I make you sad? Yeah, no, it's just so good, and you, I'm so glad there's a movie, because I want to see how it continues. Notice I did not say end, but continues. Yes. Here's hoping. Save Bomb Girls, everybody. Save, save Bomb, Bomb Girls. Girls. Yes. Hashtag Save Bomb Girls. Uh, or at Save Bomb Girls, the Twitter feed. That too. But yeah, in, in the last episode of season two, the relationship with Gladys has progressed to the extent that once... Lorna is told by Kate's mom that Kate and Betty have been taken in by the police. Lorna finds Gladys on her way into work, grabs her, starts pulling her the other way, and Gladys is kind of like, what's going on? (laughs) And so Lorna says to her, Betty and Kate, they're in terrible trouble, and I don't know how to fix it. And I thought that was sort of an interesting line, just because, again, the progression of this relationship, that she just didn't trust Gladys, and like, I don't know why you're here, and I'm going to try and get you fired. But now it's, I can't fix this. I need you to help me fix it. Yeah, and normally you would think that Lorna would be the one to go to. She's the one that protects her girls. She's the one that, you know, feeds, clothes them all. You know, I'm sure she could if she would, and takes care of her husband and her family. But this is outside of her realm of experience. You know, this is the law. This is something really serious. It's a murder charge. And this is something that she knows that Gladys has potential, if not real connections with, to help, you know, two of her girls in this situation that she has, you know, she doesn't know what to do. So I think it's really nice that the relationship with Gladys has developed to that point that she knows she can go to her. Yep. I do suspect, too, that she's probably seen that Gladys is close to those girls especially yeah. and and mm-hmm. is genuinely a good friend so and if she didn't yeah. totally know that before she certainly knew that when gladys posted bail <laughs> yeah all fourteen thousand of it i think fourteen. and then going back to the food <sighs> i also just like we're into random stuff here now i know but i love that and and i think stephanie loves this too because stephanie messaged this to me the other day and that Lorna seduces the phone guy to come install a phone <laughs> with, let me cook for you. And like the way she says it is great. She says it much better than I just said it. But basically, she like lured him to her apartment with the promise of pork chops, I think it was. Yeah. Well, and I was saying how it's food. It's a valuable commodity in that day and age. You know, pork chops, meat's rare. I mean, but heck, it works for me in this day and age, because I don't cook. <laughs> Someone goes, come over for a free meal. I'll be like, yeah, I'm right there. Okay, what do you need? Can you feed me first? Okay. So, you know, the real life Lorna's in my life, and I have I have several. Yeah, they, they do invite me over. They're like, oh, when you're by yourself, come over. I'll cook for you. Oh, and so also earlier we were talking about the relationship with... Mr. Aikens and how that sort of tense just this this whole gender divide thing again. You know, it's just so frustrating for me to watch. I'm sitting there like clenching my fists going, 
Ugh, it's not how it is today. Sorry, I just had to interject. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> yes. Not that it's great now. <laughs> but it's just been, you know, it's, I think it's really accurate. If not, you know, it might probably might have been worse in the 40s, uh, the divide between men and women. So. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. But yeah, the there's a, a scene where she's telling Bob about the detective, again, in the second season finale. That uh, she she tells him he's a man who hates us because she's talking about how, you know, she'd had a discussion with him earlier and he he just doesn't want women in the workplace. And he's, you know, not remotely shy about expressing that opinion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that it, it plays out a lot with Lorna, this this idea that there are a lot of, I think, especially older guys like they just don't want it this way this is it's too new this idea yeah. that all the jobs or or most of the jobs not all the jobs but most yeah. of the jobs are are being held by women at at home like it just it doesn't sit well with them and they yeah. want everything to go back to normal or what they perceive as normal yeah, this idea of the liberation of what they call the weaker sex uh, is just appalling to some of the men in Bomb Girls. And uh, again, that detective made me really gnash my teeth. I think he was, um, you know, we could just see how pretty, how just like almost overjoyed he was to slap the cuffs on Betty and Kate. And I was like, oh, you frickin' blankety-blank. So I think most of us feel yeah. that way, if not all of us. Yeah, so to see characters like Lorna stand up and try to carve out their niche and stay there uh, is one of the themes of the series that I really, really like seeing. Yeah, I, I just I appreciated that line that he's a man mm-hmm. who hates us because the way she says it, it's it sounds to me like Lorna Lorna knows this type of person, you know? Yeah, and that and that she'll say a line like that. Not like, oh, I'm just going to go back to my home and make dinner. And, you know, that she's aware of the prejudice against women around her. And that she'll comment on it and not take it lying down. And and I like the way she says it, too. And that she's saying it to Bob. Like, like she's explaining it to Bob. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked that. But then Bob doesn't always understand it from his perspective, which kind of ticks me off. But <laughs> Oh, but I mean, I think that's what I'm getting at here is that she's telling him all this and he's kind of like well you know maybe it's gonna gonna help that he has this letter that the preacher Mm -hmm. wrote because clearly the preacher's crazy and Lorna's like no you don't get it he's a man who hates us i mean this is yeah he'll use any evidence he has against betty you know yeah to put you know one of my girls one of my friends away and you don't understand how serious this situation is indeed And you can let us know what you think about Lorna or about this episode in a number of ways. You can leave comments on our show notes or leave us an ask at thebombgirlsbeacon.tumblr.com. You can send us an email at bombgirls at drinksatthedoll.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 972-514-7223. You can also get updates about the podcast by following me on Twitter I'm at Chris Jen, K-R-I-S-G-E-N. Thank you for listening. I'm Annie. My name is Chris, and we'll see you next shift.